We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Bro, we always get into the X's and O's of it, and this pod is not going to be any different, but please just geek out with me a moment about Anthony Davis. How fun is this guy? I've been thinking a lot about Pau Gasol, because he was really the last great or quasi-great Lakers big man. Davis is very similar to Gasol in a lot of ways, right? Height, length, skill level. Very smart. Yeah, just a smart player. But the things that Davis does from an athleticism standpoint are just so far beyond what a player like Gasol brought. And, and I think that that's the interesting part about watching him night to night. It's just the quickness of movement, the initial and second jumping ability, and how he leverages all of these physical tools in order to be just this fantastic talent. It was interesting watching him play on, what was it, Tuesday night? What's today, Wednesday? You know, he's got me so mm-hmm. thrown off in terms of days of the week just watching this dude play. But he was, <laughs> some of the things that he was doing were, from a result standpoint, were shack like Yes. Even though he is not, you know, the physically imposing player that Shaq was, but he just goes about it in a different way than, than a player like Shaq. But, but the results in terms of drawing fouls and... The ability to sort of get to spots on the floor and then finish with his athleticism, it just very reminiscent of what that old number 34 guy 
could do. Yeah, man. It's funny. So I, I, as soon as the game was over, I was like, oh my God, I have to stay up all night to make a video on AD. And I was able to release that this morning. We're recording this on Wednesday. And it's funny because as I was, you know, compiling it and chopping it down into just the AD plays, I'm like, you know, he only made seven shots in that game and he scored 40 points (laughs) on seven made shots without any of them being threes. And the Shaq comparison came to mind, too, because it was the first time I've made a video where I'm like, how do I really illustrate like they just can't guard him like he's too big, too fast, too strong. And really, the answer is to just let it play and, you know, see for yourself. But that Shaq comparison is who I kept going back to in my mind in that, like, he was just too big for Jaron Jackson and Kyle Anderson and all of these guys that they tried to put on him. And, you know, I do think Vogel brought this up in the postgame press conference last night. I do think that having a second big on the floor allows him to completely overwhelm guys on the offensive glass and just on offense in general, who like nowadays you got may have one big who has the physical composition to stick with AD, but it's very difficult to have two, especially on these bad to badish teams that we've been playing so far. And it was just he just walked underneath the basket and was like, do something about it. And they just couldn't. And that stretch at the end of the third quarter where it was free throw attempt after free throw attempt after free throw attempt, that was such an incredible display of dominance in a way that, you know, you don't even think about it in that way because he's not scoring bucket after bucket like like Kobe would. Right. But just the completely overwhelming them was just so fun to see, man. It just got my mind racing on, you know, like what what implications does this kind of guy have on what this team can be in that like LeBron felt different. Do you feel the same way? Like LeBron's dominance even last year just felt a little different than AD's. I can't quite put my finger on exactly why that is. No, I think it's that prime athlete level dominance that you typically get from a player for maybe a six-year stretch if he's one of the best in the league, mm-hmm. right? Like, And so think about young Kobe Bryant. That stretch from maybe when he was 21, 22 till around the time that he was 28 or so, right? Where he was just physically overwhelming from a guard position. And you think of a player like Shaq, very similar in terms of, oh, from the time that he probably came into the league because he came into the league after what? Was he a sophomore or a junior when when he came into the league? So after his junior year. Yeah, so Shaq was already, what, 20 or 21 by the time that he came into the league. From that time, even as a rookie, he showed that. But by the time Shaq was 28 or so, it was much more sort of like, I'm bigger, I understand angles, I still have a great first quick step. But if you remember like Orlando Shaq, right? The guy who was like diving on the floor or grabbing and going and taking the ball full court and dunking. He did some of that with the Lakers in in his early years as well. But it wasn't the same by the time that he was like with the Heat. Orlando Shaq, that's the only jersey I've ever owned that was a non-Lakers jersey. He could run and run and run, and that's been lost in time because of the transformation as a player, as you've described. Like He was always huge and strong, but on top of that, when he was young, he could fly up and down the court, and is very similar in that respect. Yeah, the thing is with Davis and just watching him, right? So he drew 15 fouls 
<laughs> last night. Like 15. And not all of those were shooting fouls. Some of them were off-ball fouls that led to free throws as well, right? So he took 27 free throws on 15 drawn fouls. So basically, some of the free throw attempts, too, were just like, oh, taking advantage of the fact that the Lakers were in the bonus, too, which he helped get the other team into that foul trouble, too. Well, to begin with, one of the things that he was just doing a lot was just like, I'm just quicker than you, right? And so when you're quicker, like, I'm beating you to to a spot, and the way the defenders have to compensate is by putting their hands on you or trying to obstruct your running lane or your feet get tangled because you're late on your defensive slide. And so all of these little physical advantages that that he was showing just led to a bunch of fouls drawn. And the great thing about Davis is, just like you said, he was just sort of bigger and stronger than a lot of the power forward types or or combo forward types that the Grizzlies were, were trying to throw at him. But Look back to the matchup against Utah, right, where he played a lot of that game at center. He played a lot of his minutes against Rudy Gobert. And what he did against Gobert was totally different. He was just quicker and faster. So he got up the court better on, like, rim runs and and then was able to sort of take Gobert out to the three-point line. He would show and go and, and got a basket or a couple of fouls when he was attacking closeouts. So Davis is the best of both worlds when it comes to a big man. He is bigger and more physical than a lot of these power forward types, but he is much more quicker and explosive than nearly every center in the league. So he has these built-in physical advantages basically against every type of matchup that you can throw at him, and that's just sort of a game-breaker, right? Because there's no matchup that he really cannot find an advantage in. And the result of that has been like the Lakers have been kind of stuck in the mud for the first two and a half quarters or so of the last three games. And maybe this is just a function of watching bad Lakers teams for several years. But I found myself at so many points being like, how are we only down two? How is it tied? How are we up by one? You know, and that sort of physical advantage is a great equalizer. I think it's going to be great for LeBron's ability to turn it on in the playoffs in that like LeBron's been really good, but I've seen a lot of in-game load management in those first halves where he's just not putting his foot on the gas. And I don't want him to be putting his foot on the gas when he's going against Charlotte and Memphis in October, right? We want to conserve that so that he's able to do that in the most important games while still getting wins. So that's exactly what we're getting. And when he does push his foot on the gas, that's when the game gets blown wide open in a matter of five or six minutes in the third quarter. That's how each of the last three games have gone. So my question for you, Darius, is what are the implications of having this type of dominance on the team, that prime physical greatness that you talked about with Kobe at the guard position, Shaq and his younger, even all of his years with the Lakers, quite frankly, what I see is we're going to be really good against bad teams in that we won't lose many games against the lower echelons of the NBA because that's such a great equalizer while still not having to exert all of that energy. My question for you, though, is what are the implications of this against the higher level teams, both in the regular season and the playoffs? Well, I just think it's going to be allow them to stay in games for longer stretches and this is where I think the importance of the rest of the team is going to come into play. So if LeBron and AD are able to sort of 
turn it on for longer stretches against top opponents or in the playoffs, you may get that same feeling of not necessarily how is this game close because the ability of those guys pops on screen and it's more noticeable. I think one of the things you've noticed the last couple of games is it's really only been AD going off early and he's been able to keep the Lakers close in games against these lower level opponents. I think against top opponents, it LeBron's going to need to come to the party a little bit earlier mm-hmm. um, in order to make sure that these games are competitive, especially against rosters who have higher end talent in spots three through eight than the Lakers do, right? And that's sort of one of the things that we saw against the Clippers is Davis and LeBron, Davis got numbers, he was good. LeBron did not get numbers and he was below average. And it was sort of a great role player performance from Danny Green that kept them in the game for that longer stretch. I think against higher level opponents and opponent like the Clippers or the 76ers or maybe even like the Rockets or the Nuggets even like sort of that top tier of six to eight teams across the league who viably can compete for a championship. It'll take strong efforts from both of those guys. But I think if both those guys are able to sort of play to their level, these games should be close regardless, and then you can have something turn positively off of 18.9 from Danny Green or a 20.9 from Kyle Kuzma or, hey, Avery Bradley and Quinn Cook are hitting their jumpers tonight, and now it's like, oh, the Lakers are up 8, 10, or 12 against a really good team because not only are LeBron and Davis playing to a level that's going to keep them in it, but the role players, enough of them are are stepping up to sort of put them over the top. I think the functional impact of AD in the playoffs is going to be it really limits how often the opponent can go really small the team I keep going back to in my mind is Houston who oftentimes likes to put PJ Tucker at the five in you know down the stretch of games and that's just not going to work against AD he is able to be so overwhelming with his length and size particularly on the backboards uh, on rim runs in all of these situations where there's just not much you can do about it and I'm curious to see how other teams adjust to that. I do think that your point about LeBron having to show up to the party earlier against those teams is important. In the one game the Lakers have lost so far, that was something that was problematic, right? As LeBron struggled and the Lakers were down by, you know, eight to 10 points for a good majority of that game as a result. I think LeBron's jumper is going to be really important in terms of making all of this work because the one way that I think you keep a guy like AD from making that impact deep down low is by sagging off into the paint and basically daring a guy like LeBron to beat you with his jumper. Now, LeBron's totally capable of doing that, and he's done that many times throughout his career. But in the big games, be it either regular season or in the playoffs, I do think that that's going to be the the real thing that distinguishes whether or not the Lakers want to go as far as they want to go. Well, I think you could say the same thing about AD's jumper, right? Mm. Because one of the advantages that LeBron has is very similar to advantages that we talked about this whole time with with Anthony Davis is against most matchups, LeBron is either going to have a quickness advantage or at least will be quickness neutral against a guy who's maybe like-sized as him. 
but he'll almost always have a strength advantage against whoever guards him. And so if the guy who's guarding LeBron is maybe the same size and just as quick, he's likely not going to be able to absorb a shoulder or a little chicken wing elbow that sort of LeBron will use those veteran crafty techniques to get a defender off of him to create space. And so LeBron's ability to maybe go down into the post against smaller defenders, that too is going to require other players to be able to hit jump shots. And if he's on the floor with AD, Davis will need to sort of prove that he can knock down some of these shots or use some of his tools when guys are closing out on him or or closing out short for him to still be able to take the ball from the three-point line and get a viable shot off of that. So the Lakers do have an ability to sort of invert their offense. LeBron's a primary ball handler, but he's also a fantastic post player when he puts his mind to it. And there are different ways for LeBron to go about this as well. So I'm not necessarily sure. While I agree that his jumper is going to be super important, I also think that there are scheme things that come back to Frank Vogel where he can put LeBron in different positions on the court and then run sort of different actions around that in order to get him going a little bit more. That's actually a good place to take a break, uh, because speaking of scheme, we're going to be talking about that on the other end of this break, but on the defensive end, where the Lakers are now fourth in defensive rating. So let's take a quick moment, and we'll be right back. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? It hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it helps me keep my beard nice and neat with an easy glide at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com backslash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. Harry's is super convenient. The blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let me know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of the Laker Film Room podcast can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash blue wire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimming blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to start shaving better today. And while we're here, The holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all of those orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered on time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders to one simple interface. Make them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. 
That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. So the Lakers are fourth in the NBA in defensive rating. They have really turned the screws when they wanted to. In that Memphis game, they gave up 15 points in the first three, three and a half minutes and was still able to hold them to 91 points. The weakest stretch so far was the KCP on Kawhi stretch in the second quarter. If you take that stretch out, everything's been very strong. Vogel said in the preseason in training camp that he wanted to keep his bigs in the paint as often as possible. And, you know, I've had some concerns about their ability to defend the three-point line. And when they have been weak has been when they're giving up open looks beyond the line. But all in all, Vogel's concept has been successful. To tell you what I'm seeing on tape, especially with Dwight out there, which is when the defense is operating at its best, you've got Dwight and AD next to each other, which we'll get into, I think, more uh, in a bit from a personnel standpoint. But these two DPOY level players in terms of their understanding, at the very least, while AD still has the physical gifts and Dwight's looking good either way. But AD allows Dwight to stay in the paint and that AD can, you know, close out on the perimeter, can kind of get two guys at once. But what Vogel's doing is he's helping from one pass away. But do you have concerns about like pick and pop bigs? I'm really curious to see how Porzingis looks against the Lakers, because I do think that that's a weakness that Lakers may have, and they haven't faced too many guys like that. No, I definitely do have concerns about pick and pop bigs, especially since the Lakers are icing pretty much everything. It looks like a core principle for Frank Vogel is keep the ball out of the middle. You can really see this at play when Danny Green is at the point of attack, right? So Avery Bradley is super aggressive. He tries to turn the ball handler a lot. And, and so it's not always as evident with him, but, but Danny Green often plays with like a three-quarter open stance mm-hmm. defensively, even at the point of attack. And, and, and so you can tell when he's guarding the ball that he is definitely trying to influence the ball handler to the sideline a lot. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah, please. On the high ball screens, it's a little different than ice. So if you're not familiar with ice, ice is on a side ball screen. So if the ball's on one side of the court or the other, sending the ball handler to the baseline. So you don't want him to use the screen heading middle. You want him to go away from the screen. So you're not trying to stay in front of him. You're trying to keep him from going middle, as Darius just described. In high ball screens, when the ball's in the middle of the court, the Lakers do what's called weaking. And weaking yeah. is very similar to ice, but it's different in that. So they did not want John Morant to go left in the game against Memphis. So what weaking the screen means is that if there's a ball screen that's coming up, that's trying to send John Morant to his left, a guy like Danny Green is going to be like, no, you're not, I'm not going to allow you to go that way. So you can, you can blow by me, but it's going to be while you're going right. And my defensive big man's on the same page with me. So he's going to contain you on that. We'll give up that mid-range jumper. And you've seen the Lakers give up a lot of elbow jumpers. They'll live with that. That's what the scheme is there for. But if that screen comes up, and sends him to his right, they'll let him use the screen in that circumstance. Be like, hey, go ahead and use that screen while going right. And exactly what you're saying about Danny Green, he understands how to position his body in a way that executes the scheme. This has been one of the fun parts about watching veterans play on this team is they execute the scheme really well. They are doing what they're supposed to be doing as opposed to seeing basketball in this series of one-on-one type matchups. I'm actually really curious to see how Kuzma fits into that, but I digress. I just wanted to make that clarification on how Danny Green defends those screens because it's not always to the sidelines. He'll let you, if they're weakening you to send you to your left and you want to go to your left using a screen, by all means, go ahead and do that. 
Yeah, I think that that's a great point and clarification on that. I do think overall, the question that you had about pick and pop bigs and whether or not I have a concern about that, I do. But I always have a concern about pick and pop bigs because you're either switching or you're going to, most teams now play some version of drop, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I've been watching basketball for a long time. There used to be so many more variations on pick and roll coverages. I'm seeing fewer and fewer of well, of those variations now, there used to be, you know, a hedge and recover, a hard hedge, right? Like I'm picking you up or trapping of the ball. There's been less and less of that. You may see some some of that in more extreme cases, like against really good off the dribble shooting guards, right? Like the Damian Lillards and Steph Curry. We may start to see that a little bit more against a guy like Trey Young, for example. Teams will trap LeBron a lot just to get the ball out of his hands. Yes. But for the most part, though, teams are still going to go under on LeBron, mm-hmm. right? Or they're going to play and drop, and and hopefully the screen isn't great so the guy can recover, or they'll switch it outright because they just don't want him to get ahead of steam at all. But pick-and-pop bigs, they're going to present an issue against the Lakers, especially because Dwight Howard especially, I think, is showing fantastic technique in his drop coverage. But the technique that he's using is going to make it really hard for him to recover back to the three-point line. He is really sinking in in his stance and really getting low in order to sort of defend against pocket bounce passes and really absorb the dribble ball handler in case he like he comes at him hard. To go from that sort of stance and then explode back out to the perimeter if your responsibility is to recover to the popping big, that's just a tough rotation. I think JaVale has more legs in order to do that, but his technique is worse. So I'll be very interested to see what happens with a guy like Porzingis or a Brooke Lopez, a Nikola Jokic. It's really part of those teams' schemes to run the pick and roll as a pop action, right? Rather than in a dive action. And so I'll be interested to see whether or not the Lakers start to adjust their scheme against those guys or if they're just going to trust it. Like one of the things that the Bucks did last year is I think the Bucks were last or first, however you want to define the stat, in terms of the number of three-pointers given up. They gave up the most, yes. They gave up the most, basically. And Coach Bud, he he really implemented a drop scheme all of the time, and he really didn't care if these guys were going to bomb threes because the core principles within his scheme were wall off the paint, protect the rim, and if we're going to give up threes, we're going to rotate to that, but go ahead and take it because we're not going to foul and we're not going to give up shots at the rim, and we think when you're taking away those two things, the math is in our favor. I think Vogel wants to do the same thing, but his guys are fouling a little bit too much. Dwight's especially fouling a lot, both on and off the ball. So I'm not sure how it's going to go against, I guess, elite shooting bigs. Are you concerned? I'm guessing you are. I have some concerns. One thing that's interesting about Milwaukee is they actually do a pretty good job of taking away corner threes. It's the above the break threes that they're like, you can shoot those as much as you want, which is intriguing in today's NBA, especially considering how good they are, right? It worked for them. And I think there's something to be learned from that in an NBA that's exceedingly like, no, no, you want to chase guys off of the three point line. You don't want to give up stuff at the basket, give up mid range, right? 
I think there's a lot to be explored within that. And I'm, I'm excited to dive more deeply into their tape as the season goes on. I, I have some concerns about the Lakers pick and pop coverages. JaVale should be better at it than he is. You were explaining his drop coverage technique and like he always goes for the block. We've talked about this for a year and a half now, and that'll compromise your rebounding, but also meeting guys that deep back in the rim. Like you pointed this out today on Twitter when we were talking about this. I'm making a video about Dwight's defense as we speak as well. When a ball handler comes off of a ball screen, Dwight is not dropped way deep into the paint, but he's in a good stance. He's squared up to the ball handler. He's got his arms out to his side and he gets big, right? And he contains. So Dwight, ironically, has been better at closing out to the three-point line in the situations he's been asked to than JaVale has, even though JaVale has the physical tools to be way better at that than Dwight is at this point. His significantly better fundamentals have led to him being good at that. But I do think it's going to be an area where we're weak. And I think this Dallas game coming up may be one of those AD needs to play the five a little bit more situations. But uh, it'll be really curious to see how that works out. Do you think the Lakers are going to start rotating off of guards, like have their guards rotate and then get into rotation that way rather than trying to play two on two so much? No, that's a really good question because that's what Vogel's done really well. That's what I've been most impressed with in both the scheme and the execution. We talk about like the defensive IQ of a guy like Danny Green. Avery Bradley's been really good at this. Caruso does this instinctually. He understands how to how to do this. They are rotating off of the weakest three-point shooter and Sometimes that can be difficult to do, especially in the regular season when you're not planning for one team because it's a different like this guy's matchup is the worst three point shooter in this game. But this guy's matchup is the worst three point shooter in the next game. Right. Lakers have been really good of switching that up. So sometimes the help will come off of Bradley. And now, yeah, you're still able to keep Dwight in the paint. But Bradley's man is not a particularly strong three-point shooter, so he's stunting off of him. Uh, When you can get AD on the weak side, this is where it's really fun, and this is where he becomes really valuable. A stunt off of AD, there were a couple of plays where Lou Williams came off of a ball screen in that first game, one of the few times that we actually stopped this, and he was going up for that jumper drifting left, and then all of a sudden, like... AD appears out of nowhere to contest and Lou just kind of has to throw it in the direction of his teammate before he lands back on the ground to travel because it would have been blocked. So if you can get AD on that weak side, that really limits those two-on-two type situations in that AD can also close back out to that three-point shooter and bother that shot. Coming into the season, I was optimistic about the Lakers defense. I thought that they could maybe hover in between 10 and 15. I thought if they had a really good year, they could be like eighth. Like realistic for them was probably some somewhere between eight and 12, eight and 13 in terms of um, ranking for defensive efficiency. Right now they're fourth, but they've played a really good team in the Clippers. They've played an offense that is sort of struggling, but a really good team in terms of the Jazz. And then they've played two teams who were expected to be near or at the bottom of their respective conference. I'm not quite sure if the results right now are actually where they would be against better opponents. Some of the numbers that we're seeing and effectiveness that we're seeing is just based off of the quality of team that that they're playing and the sample size being so small. I know you, you know, pour over these games, game after game and look at the tape. Talk to me some about the fundamentals you're seeing and how applicable they are 
to maybe better opponents versus, hey, some of this is just these teams are bad? No, that's a really good question. I think that our wing defense is where we can be exploited. I think Kawhi showed that off in the first game against Utah, against Charlotte, and against Memphis. None of those teams have a give the ball to this guy type of wing. So I think that against teams that have players that fit that description, that's going to be where we see some difficulties in the Lakers defense and some weaknesses exploited. Against Pretty much everybody else, with maybe the exception of those pick-and-pop bigs and the Luca Porzingis pick-and-roll will be a good test on Friday to, to test this theory out. But I think this defense is legit, man. Like, these guys really know what they're doing. The pieces fit together. We talk about this mostly on offense in terms of like this skill set matches that skill set but that's true on the defensive end with these really high IQ defenders that are all funneling into these great rim protectors right and Lakers are first in the NBA in blocks and and they're protecting the hell out of the paint when they're not focused they are giving up threes and that's going to be something that through those pick and pop bigs through those wings who have to draw a second defender skip pass to the weak side, those threes will be available too, just like they were in the Clipper game. But by and large, I think this defense is legit. I don't think they finish fourth in the NBA because the quality of opponents that you were mentioning, but to their credit, they're taking care of business. But I do think that this is a, you know, nine to 13 type of team, perhaps even a little bit better. And I I think, you know, if you can combine that with the individual talents of LeBron and Anthony Davis, like, Bro, only Danny Green is shooting over 30% or over 31%. Someone tweeted this earlier of the Lakers three point percentage. And like Avery Bradley is like third on the team at like 30.8% from three. You know, that's got to get going. But if you combine what I think they're capable of on the defensive end, even against better teams with, with that, I feel pretty good about what we're doing. What do you see? Like, what do you see this team landing in that defensive rating type area? I think around the level where you were talking about, they have certainly impressed me. I think a top 10 finish in defense is not out of the question at all. I also think, too, that, you know, just like you said, coming in this game, the Lakers were basically last in pace. And Memphis was one of the top teams in pace. Like, I think coming into the game, they were hovering around 110 or so possessions a game. The pace of Tuesday's game was, I think, 101 possessions. And, and so that definitely skewed more in in the Lakers' favor. You and I, and this is sort of a term that goes around the league, um, sort of the zig when everyone else is zagging, right? Um, the Lakers are definitely in zag mode right now. They're playing two traditional bigs a lot. They are playing slow a lot. Remember the seven seconds or less Suns? Mm-hmm. One of the advantages that they had, and I think that this was true about the Warriors when they came up as well, and to a certain extent what Houston did in order to get to the point that they were, is that the style that they were playing was just so different from the rest of the league on a night-to-night basis. And as the Houstons and Golden States became the dominant teams, more and more teams around the league are playing that style, right? We just saw that from Memphis, like some of the upgrades that even um, 
that Utah Jazz made this year was to sort of play faster and maybe have a more open offense, right? They signed Bogdanovich, who didn't play against the Lakers, but to be like a stretch four, right? This idea was that more teams now are moving towards that model. So on a night-to-night basis, more teams around the league are trying to play fast and shoot more threes and get up and down the floor. And then now you're going to play a team like the Lakers and they're going to try to pound you with two big men and slow the game down a little bit. And I wonder, too, if some of the success that the Lakers might experience over the course of the season will be also attributable to a divergence of style from the rest of the league, which is something we have not seen from the Lakers in several years, right? Because who was their coach previous to this? It was Luke Walton who came from the Golden State system. Before that, it was Byron Scott, but even... but. Before him, it was Mike D'Antoni, who was also sort sort of playing fast or at least trying to space the floor and play that style of ball as a lot of teams around the league were starting to pick that up as well. Do you see any merit to that sort of idea, that that style of play and it being so different from a lot of other teams around the league could, could also sort of help boost up the Lakers' defensive efficiency? Yeah, I mean, teams are not prepared to play the type of team that we are, and we're capable of being the type of team that we are because of Anthony Davis. You cannot go with two bigs if one of them does not have freakish defensive ability and grace and speed and agility on the perimeter. Like, building your team around the unicorn talents of your players is exactly what you should be doing. And it's exactly the way that you can create an unusual team that's successful. Because the reason why teams don't do certain things is because they don't work. And if you have a player who's exception to the rule type of good at these things, then all of a sudden that changes the conversation. And to bring it back to the beginning of the podcast, that's essentially what AD does for this team. Uh, what, one last thing before we wrap it up. It's looking promising that Kuz is going to be ready to go, if not on Friday, in the very near future. We've talked about how he fits in in terms of his scoring ability and his ball handling, but he hasn't had any training camp, no preseason, has missed the first few games of the year. So kind of a twist on a conversation we've already had is what does Kuz need to do first? Like if there's a chain of events of he needs to master this, then master that, then master this in order to really fit into this team the best way possible. What are you looking for first out of Kuzma's return? I still think he needs to lean on his strengths, man. Like the Lakers need more offensive punch and they need some of the particular skills that Kuzma has. And so I know that this idea of, well, Kuzma needs to be a better rebounder and Kuzma needs to defend better. I know that those are narratives. I know that those things are, are sort of true, even though Kuzma has not really gotten some of the credit for the defensive strides that he made last year. But I still think some of the things that Kuzma needs to do is hit shots. He needs to continue to show the excellent feel that he has as a cutter. And he needs to show off some of the secondary ball handling skill that he showed from last season when Brandon Ingram went out early during the year and and Kuzma sort of had that that really intriguing stretch where he looked like, oh, is this guy a starting level small forward? Yeah, where he was basically like, oh, look at Kyle Kuzma. He is like a 26 and 5 guy. He's not going to be that with a lower usage 
on a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, but he can still be an 18, you know, like 16 to 18 point scorer, get three to five assists a night and five to eight rebounds a night. And it's just like, oh man, look at Kyle Kuzma. He's really made, well, making a difference. But I still think it starts with offense. Are you thinking maybe, no, he needs to sort of show off some of the wing defense because the Lakers are lacking there because they don't have the size? I mean, I think that he just needs to be big, right? I, like, I mean, I would love for him to defend well, but I think that just being 6'8", six, 6'9", six, will be helpful in the ways that the Lakers need. You know, he needs to clean up on that end quite a bit, but I, I don't think that it will be as damaging considering what's happening on the back line. With him defensively, it's more of a matter of like, will you make the proper rotation. I think it's going to be important early on that the veterans really hold him accountable when he takes a false step on a rotation, because that's the difference between an open shot and a contested shot in the NBA is just one, you shift your momentum in the wrong way, or you take one half step in the wrong direction, then you go, oh crap, I'm going to the wing, not the corner. And Cruz does that a lot. So I, I want to see the vets really holding him accountable and the coaching staff holding him accountable in those situations. But you stole my thunder, man. He needs to get buckets. That is really the issue that the Lakers are having on offense is aside from LeBron and AD, they just don't have guys who can score on their own. And Vogel has had to stagger LeBron and AD, which I do think is wise. But for the vast majority of the game, you have one legitimate shot creator on the court at any given time. And the way in which AD is a shot creator is a little, it's not the same way that a guy like LeBron is, nor Kuzma, but Kuzma's ability to score, I would like Vogel to take the approach that he'll have at least two of those three on the court at all times. We've talked about having either AD or LeBron on the court, but having LeBron and AD to start and then LeBron subs out. He's been the first sub out in these first uh, four times. So now it's Kuzma and AD together. And then to start the second quarter, it's Kuzma and LeBron. And then at the end of the second quarter and at the end of the fourth quarter, you can have all three on the court at the same time as you go small with AD at the five. All, all Kuzma needs to do to, when he comes back is put up points because that is where this team is deficient and they just need somebody who to, to kind of like get them out of the mud more often while not having to burden LeBron and AD with that responsibility. So yeah, looking forward to having him back. It, it should really help out the offense. It's been super fun doing these two episodes a week. Thank you to everybody who's been listening. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast and we will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his Belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block. Shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. 
and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Brian! Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.